are you ready for God's word today? Why don't you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 12, Deuteronomy chapter 12. And we started a, a, a series of messages at the beginning of the year called Points of Passion. And, and I told you that if I, had to, if I had to pick a word for the year, the, the word I would pick would be passion. And, and, and as a people, or as humans, we are passionate about what, a lot of things. But we have passion. It's a matter of what our passion is pointed at. And so what we want to do is point our passion at the, you know, there's a lot of things that kind of vie for your attention, right? There's a lot of things in this world that can get your focus on or off of God. There's a lot of things that can call your focus to them, get your attention. And there's, you could say it this way, when it comes to even, even just this, just this simple verse that Jesus said in, in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. And that sounds, man, that is easy. Everybody knows that verse, but sometimes that is one of the hardest things to do is to keep God first when you have kids and a boss or a company and a job or a position and you got to go to school and you got, you know, maybe you're in college, whatever the case may be, and you're just trying to keep God first, but you got a paper due, right? You're trying to keep God first, but you got a sick kid. You got to keep God first, but, you know, there's budget cuts or, or some new department opening at your company. And, and sometimes we say, well, you know, seek first the kingdom. And that sounds really good, but that's not always easy to do. Sometimes we're going through difficult seasons in life challenging seasons in life and trying to keep God first is not always easy. And so there takes, I think there, there, it, there's an effort required um, in keeping our passion aimed at the things of God in the world in which we live. But we're supposed to live passionately towards God, passionate about the things of God. And I want to read this verse. I've mentioned it almost every week, but Psalm 69, 9, David says this, passion for your house has consumed me. Passion for your house. Now, this was a king. This was a man who had a lot going on. This was a man who could be excited about, he, you know, untold resources. He had a lot that, that, you know, I mean, because let's face it, the more resources you have, the more passions that you can afford to have. Right? right? If you're just trying to pay the light bill, then you don't have a passion for yachting. <laughs> Does that make sense? I'm just trying to pay the bill. Man, did you see this new yacht? You know, I haven't thought about a yacht. I've been thinking, I've been thinking about the lecture bill. David said, though, with everything that's going on, all that he, your passion, passion for your house is consuming. And, and I just, as a church, I want us to focus, to point our passion towards the things of God. You can't ever fail that way. It's the safest place to put your passion. If you misplace your passion, it's dangerous. It's dangerous for you, dangerous for your family. It's dangerous for your purpose. Just David's a great example because of Bathsheba. At the time when the Bible says the time when the kings went out to war, he was supposed to be passionate about leading his people. And he stayed home and got distracted and became passionate about Bathsheba. And that turned into a train wreck that had generational ramifications. Are you, are you with me? So it, passion's important. And we want to aim it at God. So uh, um, Deuteronomy 12 um, is where we're going to be. I'm going to read seven verses. I'm going to reference some more. Um, but Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. And so basically, uh, this is about 1406 to 1407 B.C. This is the children of Israel. are um, they, they came to the promised land and they didn't enter. All right. Because 10 out of 12 spies, you know, voted no. Like there's giants there. Um, and, and, um, 
And so they back out and they end up having to walk around in the wilderness at that point about another 38 years because it had taken about two years for them to come there. Um, and so 40 years in the wilderness and God raises up a new generation and now they're about to go into this land of promise. So they're camped on the plains of Moab near uh, the Jordan River. And, um, and Moses, obviously a great leader, is like, hey, let's not make the same mistake. Like, let's learn from the people who are buried in the wilderness, right? Let their voices cry out to us. Um, let's learn from their mistakes, right? Um, and, and let's make the decision that we're going to trust God. And so it, the whole book of Deuteronomy really just takes place over about 30, a little over a month. Most of it is mourning the death of Moses. He, he actually is taken by God. God. You know, God performs the funeral and buries him. They know not where. So anyways, but he gives these speeches throughout Deuteronomy, which is a recap of God's promise, but also God's standard and God's commands. And he's saying, hey, I want, you got to trust in God. Uh, you, you, no matter what, trust in God, and no matter what, obey the Lord, because that's the only way it works out good for you, right? I don't know if you know that, but the reason we trust God and the reason we obey God is because no other way works. So, um, you know, once you remove all other options and there's just one option, it's easy to pick it. If you have 800 dead ends, but one road that leads somewhere, it's easy to pick it. Right. So if you can ever resolve that you, your way won't work, Google's way may not work. Alexa probably can't help you. Siri will definitely get you lost. I don't know what her problem is. I was looking at my devices because sometimes she'll come on during uh, experience. But anyways... <laughs> But when you realize that God's way is the only way that works, let me say it another way. You'll never enter God's promise for you your way. And that's what Moses is telling them. And, and so we're here in Deuteronomy 12, and it says this. These are the statutes and the rules that you will be careful to do in the land the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess. Notice he gave it to them, but they had to go possess it. You ever notice that? I mean, it's in several places, but it's right here. I think sometimes we're sitting back like, well, God gave it to me and I'm waiting on him to airmail it in. God gave it to you, but you'll have to possess it. God gives you peace, but you'll have to possess it. God gives you joy, but you'll have to possess it. God gives you righteousness, but you're probably not going to live righteously by default. You have to possess righteousness and choose to walk and live righteously, right? God gives it to you, but you have to possess it. God gives you purpose, but you got to get off your blessed assurance and do something, right? God, God gives you a lot of things, but you have to possess it. So many people are mad at God because, I, I don't have the promises of God. I don't see God working in my life. I don't see God moving. It's because you're not moving. He gives it to easy. Whoa, easy sea biscuit. Um, <laughs> but so many times we get angry and upset at God because he's not doing what he's supposed to do. And God said, no, 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 no. When Jesus said it is finished, it was finished. Everything was paid for and provided, but you still have to possess it by faith. Grace has given it to you, but faith is what takes you into it. So anyways, so, so he said, you got to possess it all the days that you live on the earth. 
In other words, every day you got to possess it. Right? Every day you got to possess it. Because this is not my message, but it's good teaching on faith. Because you can, you can get into something by faith and give it up by doubt and unbelief. You can be delivered out of Egypt by faith and never go into the promised land because of doubt and unbelief. Um, anyways, he said, You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall uh, dispossess. I like that too. You get to dispossess the enemy. Let me say it another way. There's an enemy right now that's, that's, that's in, in, that, that is actually ruling your promise. And when you possess it, you make him dispossess it. You need to dispossess some enemies in your life. That's what you need to do. This is good. I just may preach a different message. Um, I don't know what this message is even called yet, but I'm liking it so far. He said, Dispossess those that serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. Tear down their altars, dash into pieces their pillars, and burn uh, their, 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 yeah, I'm not going to try, I almost cussed just trying to say that word, but burn it with fire. Those are altars, by the way. You shall chop down the, the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Notice that there's a distinction. But you shall seek. Now he's going to tell us how we worship the Lord. Don't worship in their way. In other words, they had all these places of worship. Don't worship God in that way. This is how you worship him. Seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all the tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. And there you will go. And there you will bring your offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and your contribution to the present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and their flocks. And there, where? The place he chooses. Will you eat before the Lord your God as the first potluck? And shall you rejoice? You and your, Where are you going to go eat? At the house of the Lord. Where are you going to rejoice? At the house of the Lord. Who's going to rejoice with you and your households? In all you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you, has blessed you. Don't worship like other gods, but you shall go to the place where he makes his name, where he makes his habitation. I call this, this message, No Place Like Home. No Place Like Home. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much, God, that we have gathered in your presence. Um, God, that you're here. God, that you have a plan for every one of us. You have a purpose for every one of us. And regardless of what we're walking through today, God, that plan is certain. That purpose is sure. And the grace, God, your grace will get us there. God, today we want to hear your voice so that we can walk in your ways, just like Moses said in Exodus 19. I want to know, teach me your ways that I would walk in them. God, that's our prayer today. Teach us your ways that we would walk in them. Because if we walk in your ways, we always win. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So, when, and you've heard me, Psalm 69 was just this verse, really, that God used to, to bring this whole series of messages in, into being. And it was just that phrase, passion for your house, just like we, passion for your house, passion for your house. And, and one, of the, one of the burdens that, that I feel is that question of, of, are we passionate for the house of God? 
Are, are we really passionate for the house of God? Um, I don't think you can be passionate about God and not be passionate about his house. Now, for me, I'm passionate about the house of God. I work here. I think our staff is passionate about the house of God. We work here. But, but I grew up. I, do you remember this? We grew up. I grew up going to church at least three times a week. And if you missed a week, they assumed you had done this thing called backsliding. Because you missed a week. Surely you don't love God anymore. And while that's a little bit legalistic, and, and that's certainly not what I'm talking about, but it instilled in us the, this importance and this priority that the house of God was to have this, this place in our lives that nothing else had. And, 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 and I know that today it's, it's even different. There are people watching us right now online. We're grateful for that. And today, the statistics tell us that the average church attender attends church um, about three times every two months. So about one and a half times per month. And, and there's a lot of this, not because people don't love God. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. But it, it begs the question. I did a whole series, but I want to revisit. I, I did a whole series on this, uh, um, you know, uh, several months ago. But I wanted to revisit it in this series because it was such a burden to me um, that, that going to the house of God seems, seems to, to have a place that is below other things in our lives. Whether we intend it that way or not, whether, whether we're, we're trying to make that statement or not, no, I don't believe we actually cognizantly are, are purposely trying to say that God's house isn't important. You're obviously here today, so, so the, the phrase preaching to the choir is now in play because I'm talking to the people. I am talking to some who are not here today. But, but to me, you know, m my heart is... I think there's incredible importance in coming to the house of God, not because I want it full, but because God wants your life full. Amen. And, I, and I just want to take a moment and almost answer some questions to answer the question, is it really important? Because, Pastor, I may miss, but I, I catch you on the app. I, I get it on YouTube or I watch online. And, and I don't want you to stop doing those things. If you're, Don't turn me off right yet. I, I, don't, I don't want you to stop watching online. But I want you to understand that those things are supplemental to, they are secondary to, in other words, therefore, when you can't get to the house of God. Like if you're sick or your child's sick or you're out of town or you're on vacation, right? Then, then you tune in on YouTube. Then, then you, you, you tune into the live stream and, and then you have a way to join with us. And, and my concern is that, that people are making the mistake of thinking that, um, that watching the message online is the same as being in the house of God. And it is not the same. It is not the same at all. I, I want you to understand that it was God's house, it was God's plan to choose a place to put his name and his command was for his people to come to the place that he chose. 
I want you to write this down. I got to get, I get, I get to my point, so I will just never even get there today. So write this down. I have three because I'm anointed. And so number one, <laughs> Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know, uh, People are like, well, last week you had two. Were you not anointed? No, I was just more anointed because I could get it done in two points. And so just kidding. I'm just kidding. But number one, write this down. The place of worship protects the purity of worship. The place of worship protects the purity of worship. Um, you know, as as a as a um, as a pastor, do you know one thing our our staff is fully aware of? The worship preferences of people. Yeah, we are. Um, we understand the temperatures that you like, and none of you like the same one, by the way. But we understand. <laughs> We understand the, the decibel or the volume level that you appreciate. Again, none of you like the same one. Um, we understand the types of coffee that you like. We understand the type of song selection that you enjoy. Right? And, and here's the thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, we, we, we love that, and we do the best we can. And, you know... Um, if there were a way to have one worship experience where, you know, 1,000 people would all just be like, oh, that was great, then we would do our best to do that. Um, but what we have to do is just pray and seek the Lord and say, God, wh what do you want in your house? And, and there, you know, there are people and, and they're like, we, we even know like worship, there are times that you prefer to worship because we've tried other times, right? Like, like we we know on a day like today, probably looking around here, in, you know, and in, in especially right now in the eleven o'clock, we know that our toddlers are going to be overwhelmed, and our teachers are probably going to need extra communion after. <laughs> and we offer other worship experience times, but people come when they want to. That's when they prefer to come. And, and if, it, if, it, if it means that the, the workers are stressed or, or the, the building's taxed in a certain way, it, it's not that you don't care. Maybe you don't know, but it's like, but I like to come when I like to come. And, and, and I don't want you to feel bad for that because those are your worship preferences. I get that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because people have different worship preferences. I think that's why we have different services. You know, some people, if they have to go more than 65 minutes to church, it's like, my God. Would you hurry up? I mean, good Lord, like the roast is going to get cold there, preacher. I mean, we've been here 66 minutes so far. And, and so some people, it's, their preference is a time, and some people, their preference is a location, and some people, their preference, I don't necessarily think that's bad. Some people need a choir. Some people need an orchestra. Some, some people need hymns. Well, I've had wonderful people, and, and I mean that because they weren't mean at all. So please, when I say this, don't think they were being mean. They just said, you know, we love the message, Pastor, that you bring, but we're probably going to leave the church uh, because we just miss the hymns. Now, that doesn't really offend me. They can watch my message on YouTube. It just lets me know that people have their worship preferences. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I did this week. Have you ever thought about, wonder if God has any worship preferences? I wonder if there's a way He'd like to be worshipped that may not be the same way we'd like to worship. I wonder if there's a style of worship that He might appreciate that might even be uncomfortable for us. I wonder if there's an amount of time that he might would prefer that we come and worship that we might would just get tired and just say, I just can't go that long. 
Like I was just, I'll just give you one verse while you're thinking about that. Psalm 100, verse 1. Look at this. Shout for joy. Well, you can't get excited in the house of God. That's, that's not being reverent. Shout for joy to the Lord. It's amazing. This afternoon, we're going to turn on our television. Even if you don't care about either team, you're probably going to go somewhere because you care about food. Or you're just going to turn it on because the commercials might be funny. Or you think you might enjoy the halftime show because J-Lo's going to be there. (laughs) And you're going to turn it on and you're going to watch tens of thousands of people losing their minds, (laughs) painting their bodies, wearing stupid clothes, and screaming till they have no voice left because one team might win the game that's the championship game for this year. And they would get to be a champion for 12 months. <laughs> Yet we come to the house of God and the king of all kings is present. The one who has defeated death, hell, and the grave for all eternity. And if somebody gets a little excited, somebody's like, oh, we don't need to act that way in church. <laughs> but God said, I will shout to joy for the Lord all the earth. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just kind of quiet. Are you all the earth? Then shout for joy. Worship the Lord with glad. In other words, I was glad when they said unto me, let us, in other words, I should be happy to worship God. Come before him with joyful, joyful song. I'm not much of a singer. I don't care. I'm talking about how God would like to be worshiped, not what makes you comfortable. Know that the Lord is good. He has made us. I'm out of breath. I may just pass out. I got my workout in for the week right there. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise him. In other words, there's a way that God wants to be worshipped. The, the God, and when you read the Bible, I mean, you can find clap your hands all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I mean, there's, you, you can find kneeling and bowing and lifting your voices. You can, you can find being completely silent. There's all these different ways that the Bible talks about worship that God receives. And so God has worship preferences too. But, but those preferences, although um, are important, in fact, he's the one we read at verse 5, seek the Lord in the place where he makes his name, where he chooses. In other words, seek God where he wants. Those are, those are important because God has preferences, but they're also important to us because God's preferences of worship actually protect some things for us. The first thing that it protects is it protects your heart. The way that God prescribes worship actually protects your heart. Because God's always generous, generous and, and, and he's not a narcissist. And, and so he, he gives this way. Because here's what God, he's saying, hey, I want you to come worship where I put my name. I'm going to choose a place, and that's where I want you to come worship. Now, why? Because Israel had, had been together, camping together throughout the wilderness, but they're about to go in the promised land, and each tribe is going to get an allotment of land. They're going to split up for the first time. And they're going into a land that has been held by the enemy. 
And the enemy had all these styles of worship and all these high places of worship and all these altars um, and all these rituals. And even though the enemy is going to be pushed out, those altars are going to remain. And what God's saying is, I need to protect your heart from going after other gods and idols. I want to protect you. I want to protect your heart. Here's what he's saying. I want to protect you from trusting in something that can't deliver you. That's what an idol is. An idol is a God that's, that, that doesn't exist. It's a false God. It's a form of worship. And it's a false God. And he said this. He said, you know what? I, I want to protect you. And I want to protect your heart from trusting in something that can't deliver you. I want to protect your heart from trusting in something that can't deliver you. I, I want you to understand that God, um, God is not one God among many gods. Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And, and I found even in our culture, they're okay with us having a place of worship among their place of worship, and you can have your God. And we can, the problem, of course, is when you say Jesus Christ or that God was the one true God. You know, I mean, we had, a, I never forget, I had a worship experience here, and a Muslim, uh, a Muslim brother pulled me aside afterwards, one talked to me. And he said, I was so grateful for what you said because you said it all goes back to Abraham, which is not what I said. I didn't mention Abraham, but I knew immediately when he said that, I thought he's a Muslim because that's part of their belief that everything goes back to Abraham. And so, uh, and so we're in a way we're brothers, you know, and, and, but they serve Allah. And, and so, and so I'll, I'll listen to him and, and thanked him and wished him the best. Um, but I thought, no, 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 God is not, we're not brothers and, and God is not one God among many gods. There is one God. There is one God. And get, and, and that God is preeminent, meaning he can only, he can only occupy the first place. Right? Colossians 1.17 said he was before all things. He's, he's preeminent. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4 says that the Lord God is in heaven above uh, and earth beneath. That he is the Lord, is the God of heaven and the God of earth, and there is no other. That there is only one God. And you need to understand that God is preeminent, meaning he will only occupy one place, and that is the first place. That God is not interested in being one God among the many things that we worship. And, and that the temptation that they were going to face in, in, the, in the promised land would be a temptation to trust in something else other than God. To trust in something else other than God. If you think about it, the temptation um, that, that Satan, when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness... I can sum up all three temptations in this one statement. The temptation was to trust something else beside God. Trust yourself that you can turn that into bread. Trust the angels that they'll bear you up. Trust me that I can give you the kingdoms of the world, the devil said to him. All of it was trust something else. What, what is Satan always after? He is after our worship. He wants us to make God anything but first. Because the first thing in your life, that's why I seek first the kingdom. Whatever is first has authority and power over everything else. And if he can get anything else first, then look at this. Then the, the power of God's kingdom is not 
is not first, so it is not in order, so it doesn't have authority over everything else in our life. Whatever is first, orders, organizes, has authority and power over everything else. And so God said, I want you to keep me first. Why? It's the only way you win. When my kingdom's in charge, when my power is working in your life, it's the only way that you win, but it only works when I'm first. And so the temptation, idolatry is a temptation of trusting things. Because if I said, do you worship idols? Everybody in here would be like, I don't worship idols. At least I hope. But if I said, do you worship? No, I don't worship idols. But here's what I say. Do you trust something in your life more than you trust God? Now we've got to talk. Because who is it that provides for you? Is it the ABC company or is it God? Who's first? Who's the highest place in your life? Because God will only occupy the highest place in your life. Why, why did God receive Abel's offering and not Cain's? Because Cain, Abel brought the first fruits. And Cain brought a, a, an offering when it was convenient for him. And, and why is it again that God wants to be first? Because God wants to protect you from trusting in something that cannot save you. And the way you overcome temptation is by coming to the place that God chooses for you to come to worship. An idol is something you serve on your terms. An idol is something that you worship on your terms. God will only be worshipped on His terms. I'm thinking about if I want to say what I've just thought. God will only be worshipped. And so many times I, I think that we are guilty of, of telling God how He's going to be worshipped by us based on what we believe about Him, what, what is convenient for us, and what ultimately is easy or, or what we like. And we, and we tell God, well, then based on my belief system, my theology, how I see things, God, the time that I have, the energy that I have, what is easy and convenient for me, based on those things, I hope you'll take this worship. And God isn't worshipped on our terms. He's worshipped on His. Um, <laughs> and... So idolatry is a heart issue where our heart trusts in something else besides Him. And coming, and God said, I, I don't want you to get hung up in, in all these idols, so I want you to destroy them, and then I want you to come to one place to worship. I want you to come to my house to worship. Because coming to my house to worship is going to protect your heart. It's also, the second thing, it's going to protect the purity of your worship. This is B under point one if you're OCD. Because when I said the second thing, is it point two? No, it's sub point two under main point one. But it protects, it protects your heart. But it also, check this, it also protects the purity of your worship. Um, the word worship uh, actually means worth-ship. Worth ascribed to. And, and so our worship is actually... It doesn't determine God's worth. That, that's, that's set. Okay, that, that variable, that is not, there's no variation there. It is fixed. That value is fixed, okay? But our worship 
actually is the expression of what He is worth to us. The first time that we see the word worship in the Bible, and if you study the Bible, this Bible school trick, you know, pro tip, here we go. Um, when you're studying something, find the first time it's mentioned in the Bible. It's called the law of first mention. And a lot of times it'll help you kind of understand how that came into being and, and give you some application for all the other mentions. So when you look at worship, the first time we see it is in Genesis when God said, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac up on the mountain and murder him, sacrifice him. And Abraham tells his servants when they find the mountain, that he tells his servants, uh, this is old King James, we're going to go yonder and worship that's Old King James or Old South, because my granny said, what y'all doing over yonder? Y'all gonna go over yonder? So maybe she was King James, maybe she's just Deep South. I don't know. But anyways, <clears throat> we're gonna go yonder and eat a hamburger. Um, she loved hamburgers. Uh, she did. Uh, and she came through the Depression. So as a kid, this is just a funny story. I don't know what it's worth, worth nothing, but I'm gonna th I got a microphone, I'm gonna tell you. As a kid, I didn't like lettuce, onion, tomato on my hamburger. I wanted meat and cheese and mayonnaise. But she would make me get the lettuce, tomato, and onion because it was in the price of the burger and somebody might need it. <laughs> and I never understood that until my parents were like Granny went, you know, Granny and Pop went through the depression. You you don't you don't get rid of it. You don't throw anything away. You know, it's even it's just tomato. You know, so anyways. But but he said Abraham said we're gonna go. Look at this. I want you to sacrifice your son. And, and this is what Abraham gives a word to that. We're going to go yonder and worship. I think one of the reasons that God wants worship in his house is because it has to cost us something to get here. Because worship is an expression of value. Value means it costs something. And look at what Abraham, he said, I'm about to take the promise and I'm going to slay the promise. Imagine the value and the cost. And here's what he was saying. God, you're more valuable than the promise you gave me. You talk about recentering your heart. And get this, Abraham wasn't allowed to sacrifice him just anywhere. He had to journey for three days. And God said this, you go and I'll show you when you're there. In other words, every day, knowing he's going to kill his son, thinking he's going to kill his son, he is walking and yet having to trust God on the journey. And, ask, and he's actually, think about this, he's actually having to submit his heart to God to say, will you show me the place that you've picked to receive the sacrifice I don't want to give? And I, and I can't begrudge it or be angry or be mad. I actually have to be tuned in to God and listen and be guided by Him to get to the place where He wants me to give the thing I don't want to give. And He had a term for that called worship. And, and nowadays, and I'm not, I don't want to take, let me try to make this sound, I want to be real, but I don't want to be hurtful. So, so let me try to say this in, in a real nice way. I'll have people that say, we just couldn't get out of bed. Like we wanted to be there, Pastor. We just couldn't get out of bed. I have those days too. I do. This may come as a surprise to you. There are some Sundays where I don't want to get out of bed. It's been a long week. It's been a hard week. Maybe I've had a long time without a day off. 
I know it could be shocking to you. But I get out of bed, not because I'm paid to be here. But I get out of bed because I'm okay if worship cost me something. In fact, I would say this. It's not worship unless it costs you something. Um, do you remember when David takes a census? Um, you see it in Kings and, and Second Chronicles, and some people say, well, did Satan? Because one says Satan moved David to take a census, and one says God moved David to take a census, but yet the word of the Lord was David, don't take a census. And it really, in, if, if, because when I bring things up, then people will email me. So let me answer the question. Here's what happened. God said, don't take a census, but he was trying to test David's heart, so he allowed the enemy to tempt him with taking a census. And he took a census and a plague breaks out and, and people are dying. And then David says, I've got to go. The angel of the Lord was held up at, at, a, at a place. Um, I'm trying to remember. The, uh, or, I think the guy's name was Ornah. It's spelled with an A. Ornah, uh, the Jebusite uh, threshing floor. And David goes there to sacrifice. And, and, the, and Ornah comes out and bows down and says, you can have whatever you want because you're the king. And David said, well, I need to sacrifice here on your threshing floor. Um, and he said, you can have the threshing floor, the oxen, you're the king. And David said, no, I have to pay you because I can't sacrifice anything to God that doesn't cost me. If it doesn't cost you, it's not worship. And one of the reasons we come to the house of God is because we have to get up and feed the dog and feed the kids and get ready and find out our blouse didn't come back from the cleaners and there's a stain on our trousers and try to figure out what we're going to do next and, and still get there because we bring a sacrifice of praise because it's not worship. And so by God ascribing that there's a place you come, he's saying, I'm going to make sure you have to travel because they didn't have air-conditioned cars, but they had to travel to the house of God. Why? So it would cost them something. So the place of worship protects the purity of worship. Uh, here's the second thing, and these are shorter points, so you can relax. <clears throat> um, you can always find God at his house. You can always find God. This is what he says, verse 12. You must celebrate there in the presence of the Lord. Where? Where the Lord chooses to make his name abide, his habitation. What, where, where God is, his presence is. Where he puts his name, that's where he is. This is Exodus 25, uh, verse 1. This is a, a scripture near and dear to me because this is one the Lord spoke to me when, when, when we chose to build the church, how I knew it was time to build the church. Exodus 25, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord God spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly from his heart. You shall take my offering. And listen, I know sometimes people say, Well, man, every week the pastor talks about the building and about money, and we just didn't come to church to hear about money or whatever. I'm just, I just want to point out, all I'm doing, is exactly what God told Moses to do. And for every one person that may think I talk about money too much, I've got hundreds of people saying, Pastor, I need to know exactly where we're at because we're invested in this. God's moving in our life. We're giving. We're thankful. We're, we're a part. So I just want to clarify that we don't pass a plate here. And we do it because of this verse. We want you to give willingly. But if you don't want to give willingly, please don't begrudge others who want to give willingly. Um. That sounded harsh because I'm running out of time, but I love you regardless of what you do. I just... <laughs> Verse 8, And let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Let them make me a house because I want to live with them. And look, and there, where? 
There, the place God chooses, he said, I will meet with you and I will speak with you. I like that. He said, hey, if you're looking for me, there's a place you can find me. It's my house, right? He goes off Florida. Welcome to my house, right? And if you come to my house, I'm there. And if I'm there, I'm going to meet you there. And I'm going to, and I like this, speak with you. Not speak at you, but speak with you. Not even speak in front of you, but I want to speak with you. I want you to come to my house so that I can, and people say, I just can't get close to God, and I'm just not sensing his presence, and I'm not hearing from him, and I'm saying, hey, hang out at his house more. Spend more time at Pop's house. Are you with me? If you'll hang out at his house, you'll hear him. You'll sense him. You'll see him, right? Are you with me? Verse 18, 20. This is Matthew, verse 18, 20. That's not a book in the Bible. <laughs> see what happens when I speed up. Matthew 18, 20 says, for, for, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst. That's what Jesus said. It's a promise. There's, listen, you'll never be at God's house and him not be there too. Yes. You'll never, that's the promise of God. And you know what I love? When his presence there, remember, you can't separate his presence and his person, and you can't separate his presence and his power. We talked about you can't separate the presence of God from the person of God. But listen, you can't separate the presence of God from the power of God, because wherever God is fully present, he is fully powerful. Are, are you with me? And, and, and so when we come together, all of God is there. In fact, David said this, Psalm 26, 8, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. The glory is the weightest kabod is, is the Hebrew word. It's, it's the weightiness of God's nature and character and power and being. It is, it is all of him. That's why, that's why Moses said, let your glory pass. I want to see your glory. I want to see you. I want to see the substance. I want to see who you are. And this is what David said. That's your habitation. That's where your glory is. That's where you are. That's why he said, I'm going to choose a place to put my name. Why? Because if my name's there, I can be known there. If my name is there, I can be known there. You can hear me and I can hear you. That's what Isaiah, remember Isaiah chapter six, um, the year King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was an incredible, incredible king. I think he had nearly, a, I think it was 52 years that he reigned. Um, incredible king. And, and God would give him incredible ideas like the catapult and different things like that to defend uh, God's people against the Philistines. And so when he died, the whole nation is like, oh my God, what now? And Isaiah the prophet said, in the year King Uzziah died, in other words, this was the worst day ever. Yeah. But here's what he said, I went into the temple of the Lord and I saw the Lord seated high and this is what the Lord was saying. The little king died, but the big king's still on the throne. Listen, when I'm tired, when I'm having a bad week, that's when I can go to the place where God makes his name known. Here, here's the third thing. God is at his core a family man. God is at his core a family man. Deuteronomy 12, verse 18. You must eat these in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose. Eat them there. Look at this. With your children and with your servants and with the Levites. In other words, he said, I want everybody to come together. Come together right now. 
I'm not so sure it wasn't a worship song. One and one and one is three. So there's the Trinity. Come together right now. I'm just saying, if you're a Beatles fan. Okay, never mind. I'm going to get an email (laughs) anyways. Uh, but, but he said, I want you to get, remember this, they're, they're splitting up throughout the land. And this is what he said. There's a value in bringing the family together. I like to bring the family together and, and I want to bring the family together at my house at the place that I choose. I want to bring the family together that this is again, why why do I go to church? Because God has some worship preferences and those worship preferences protect me. Why do I go to church? Because I can always find God in his house. And why do I go to church? Because ultimately I need to be around his family. I I never forget. uh, um, We've done this before, but, but uh, are we, uh, we were raised by my parents and and they'll be in one of the other worship experiences, but uh, we were raised with a value of family. It's a value that we have. We were raised that way. And, and there's been many of our friends, my brother and my friends, and, and, and people we knew, that, that we would just bring to our family gatherings because they needed, to be, they needed family. They needed family. Uh, we've even, we, even staff for the holidays, who maybe their families are scattered abroad and they're not able to be with family, we'd say, hey, y'all just come celebrate Christmas with us because there's a, a value in being around family. And God said, there's a value in bringing the family together. And the best place to meet is my house. The best place to meet is is my house. I want you to regather as you go out to conquer. Think about this. They were sent out to possess the promise and to conquer. But he said, in the sending out, I want you to have a priority to regather at the house of God. It's the picture of what the church is. We are sent out to fulfill our purposes and our callings and what God wants us to do to proclaim the gospel to every living creature, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We are sent out into our promised land. The nations are our inheritance. Are you with me? So we are sent out. But he said, in the sending out, I want to bring you back together at my house so I can send you out again and then bring you back together at my house. Why? Because there's a value in being around family. Right? That's what he told the the Hebrews. um, uh, So it's the Jewish believers. They're being persecuted. And the writer of Hebrews is writing them a a letter encouraging them because some of them were facing prison, losing their businesses, all because they named the name of faith, uh, the name of Christ. And they're thinking about giving up this New Testament faith in Christ and going back to the practices of Judaism alone, right? And, and he said, don't, don't do that. Hold fast because this is the only way. He, and that's why he's talking about Jesus is greater than the law. Jesus is greater than the sacrifice. That's what Hebrews is all about, right? But this is what he says in Hebrews 4. He's writing, and he said, or Hebrews 10, verse 24, he said, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not forsaking or not neglecting to meet together as some have all of a sudden made a habit of doing, but encouraging one another and even more as you see the day being capitalized, being being the second coming of Christ, even more as you see the day approaching. Here's what he's saying. You're not going to make it if you don't gather. Like it's tough out there and there are people that are against the faith out there. And if you're going to live the life God's called you to, if you're going to live strong, you're going to have to gather with the family. 
You're going to have to gather with other believers. There is a power in gathering. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren, their family, to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil. And by the way, see that unity? Unity means we got people gathering together. And it even means they may not all agree on the same thing. You can't have unity without diversity. You also can't have unity by yourself. Well, I'm in unity with me. No, no, you're not. That's dumb. But look at what he says. It's, it's, here's what happens when we dwell together. It's like precious oil. That's anointing. Running down the beard of Aaron, right? Running down the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon. This is refreshing. Descending upon the mountains of Zion. That's the church. For there, where? There, when you dwell in God's house, when you dwell with God's people, there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Do you see that? There is a power. There is an anointing that we can experience when we gather together in unity under the name of God in the place where he chose. And we gather there and he shows up and there's refreshing, times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. That's Acts 3, right? And there is refreshing and there is anointing. And these are things that don't happen unless you gather together at the place where God wants to meet with you. Let, let me give you one more, one more. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then shall we say? This is Paul. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? Look, family, brothers and sisters. What more shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Look at this way he said. When we come together, different people have different things. Let me tell you what all those things have in common. None of those things are for the people that have them. Let me, let me say it another way. God puts what you need in somebody else. God puts what you need in somebody else. Because today, somebody needed encouraging. Somebody needed to know they were loved. And then Kate started to sing, I am loved, I am loved, right? Someone needed, needed a, a, a song and the worship team provided it. Some needed a word and maybe the word during communion. You needed life by the Spirit. Maybe, maybe that was the word you needed. Somebody needed to be built up. Somebody's tired, had a hard week, but they made it to the house of God. And when you came, God put what you needed in somebody else. And that's something you can't have by yourself. Most of the time, God won't put what you need in you. 1 Peter 4.10 said, We steward the, the grace of God in its various forms. God actually puts His grace that you need in somebody else. And that's why He says, I want you to come to my house. The place that I choose. Where I gather my family. Because when you get there and I gather my family at my house... I'm going to put what you need. I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to speak with you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to help you. And I'm going to build you up. There's no place like home.
Amen. Can you stand with me?